Welcome, everyone, to the Jake Dunlap Show. This is your weekly dose of real success stories from entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, CEOs, and the people that you love. If you've ever wondered what makes people tick, what are the weird things that happened to them in their past that helped to shape the people that they've became? Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern, you can tune in and get exactly that. The behind, behind the scenes, not the typical behind the scenes, but the real stories that shape some of the people that you know, love, and follow. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. I'm actually recording this episode from the Barton Creek Omni in Austin, Texas. Uh, We are having another one of our famous ice storm power adages. We're hunkering down with the family right now and excited for this conversation. This is one that we've been trying to work on for, I feel like, a few months now and am really looking forward to this topic around joy, you know, taking ownership over parts of your life and doing it in a way that that really feels authentic and in a way that really feels exciting. I think some topics around business and debt and other things can sometimes not have that tilt. Uh, you know, it's already a proven fact that having a positive attitude has beneficial effects on everything that we do. And definitely the same thing can be applied to our business and how we plan for the future, whether it's the next steps we need to take or strategies. It's all about creating a balanced environment that can function without fault, uh, no matter the obstacles that you are facing. So today's guest has been in business for over 30 years. She has been talking about joy and now debt ever since she was over $187,000 in debt and managed to build her life back up and create the joy of business. She also is the host of the Choice, Change, and Action podcast. She's got some amazing books. You can go and read Joy of Business, Getting Out of Debt Joyfully, Create Your Own Financial Reality. We'll obviously link to all of those. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Ms. Simone Milisus. Thank you for joining us, Simone. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Jake. We are glad to have you. This is going to be a fun one. So if you can't tell, um, Simone is from Australia. I I cannot do an Australian accent, by the way. I've tried, and usually even when I try any accents, I try like a British, it turns into some South African or something. I'm, I'm just not very good at it, but she's the real deal. So, so you grew up in Sydney. You know, I, I, Australia is one of the few places I haven't been in the world. And, and obviously, Sydney now got all these direct flights and lots of different people are you know, spending a lot more time in Australia. We've worked with a ton of Australian companies in our business. You know, what was it like growing up in Sydney? You know, as it's kind of like coming of age is like a really major, you know, metropolitan global destination. I loved growing up in Sydney. I thought it was fabulous. I mean, you spend a lot of the time at the beach because everything's coastal pretty much. And, you know, I, I lived on the south of Sydney and then I went to school right in the city um, in a place called King's Cross, which is a little bit of a controversial area. And I went to a private school there and I loved it. It's like, gosh, the partying and everything that you could do there was amazing. That's actually why I moved out of Sydney because I was like, okay, I, I might end up dead at the moment if I keep going the rate that I'm going. So maybe I was one of the people who initiated Sydney being a hotspot. I'm not sure. But you know what? It's absolutely beautiful because it's got the beaches and you've got the, I think any city that is in a harbour is just got this such a beauty to it with the water. And I mean, the harbour is iconic, obviously. It's it's amazing. So yeah, I absolutely loved Sydney and had to get out of there when I had to get out of there as well. 
And then, yeah, and then you're like, okay, I need to go see more. You know, what are some early memories you have? You know, ask every guest, you know, what I find consistently is there's these things that happen to us early in life. You know, it's like these weird moments that we have like the chip on our shoulder or some lesson that we learned. And, you know, what are some early memories you've, I mean, you've pretty much been in, in business for yourself and loving business, you know, really from the jump. Are there any early memories, whether it's with, you know, your family, you know, influence people, other people around you that influenced you around entrepreneurship or around, you know, building your own business? Do you know, uh, it might sound a bit cheesy, but I'm going to say my father, he was such an inspiration to me. He was a chartered accountant, but growing up, it's like, as a, you know, I always remember we had these different things going on. Like at one stage, we were part owner of a, of a butcher shop and then there was this big picnic table craze and we were part of that. And then he was a part of this uh, company that was importing clothing from India. And he always like now, you know, when I look at it, I knew he was an entrepreneur and he would meet people and he would get involved with their businesses as well as being the accountant. Like there was, I have actually have some artwork in my house because when my dad first started his business, he literally like walked the streets talking to people saying, do you need an accountant? And he met these artists and they said, we don't have any money. And he really liked their artwork. And he said, what if you pay me an artwork? And he did. And then they became, you know, pretty famous. So the artwork is actually worth something now. And he was, he was always like that. My mother was the exact opposite. So I think I had this sort of like conflicted world because mum was like, you know, you're not allowed to talk about business and money at the dinner table. But my dad was so intriguing that I always wanted to talk to him about business and money. And so I'd say, I'm going to say my dad, he was just, he was always changing things and always, you know, I mean, he would get up at 3 a.m. in the morning when the New York Stock Exchange opened and with his cup of tea, all, from, as long as I can remember and watch when the New York Stock Exchange opened, he was always interested. Wow. And that's, I mean, and plus as like an accountant, a lot of times the accountants aren't the ones out there, you know, feet on the street drumming up business. So I can imagine that. And then how do you, so then, like you said, you were like, all right, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go travel. You know, you spent time in London. Now I think like you're, you know, part owner in an eco retreat in Costa Rica. I mean, it's something else in Italy. I know you've got some other ventures there. Like how did, you know, where do you feel like that desire came from? So you'd grown up in Sydney, you have these inspirations, you know, what was it that made you want to leave and go do all these things? The world, the world was just pulling at me. Like I was so intrigued with the rest of the world. Like I remember studying, you know, I didn't study any science at school. I did all, you know, history topics and things like that. And I was always so interested in, in the world. And, you know, those different cities like London, New York were just like, I was like, I have to go see these cities. So, and when a lot of my friends were, you know, wanting to, you know, get married and have kids and do all of this, I was like, I need to see the world. So I was really busting to see the world. It was such a pull for me. And at the same time, uh, people used to say to me, well, what are you going to do? You know? And I was like, I want to own my own business. And they'd say, what do you want? What is that going to be? And I was like, I don't know right yet. But all I knew was business to me was something that you could get out there into the world. It was a way that you could travel, a way that you could make money and it was malleable. Like for me, you can change business all the time. It's like, it doesn't have to have this, you know, this is the this is the way we're heading and we don't change the structure. It's like, no, it, it's you can change it with a question. You can change it every single day. But I always looked at it like that, Jake, and I thought that everybody did and I realized that they don't. So I was a little, I'm going to say not normal. Like I left and, and traveled. I went to America first actually and I traveled around America for, for three months and then London and told everyone I was going for six months and I ended up staying three years overseas and just working wherever I could in many different industries and, and 
just exploring the world. That was definitely something that was very close to my heart. And then I came home and everyone did that thing of going, well, now you've got that out of your system. You know, you can settle down. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I've just discovered that there's a whole world out there. So this is way before someone, this is before like being an entrepreneur and doing that was like cool over the last like 10 years. Like you said, I mean, even there, you know, most people do that to their kids now. Like, what are you going to do? But back then it was like heretic, you know, you're like, of course you're going to do X, Y, Z. Obviously you had a different, you know, you had a quite, quite the role model in your dad of someone who was like tasting and dabbling and doing these, these other things that kind of helped to, to ignite this. And, and like through these it, adventures, how did this kind of joy of business, you know, you started to hit on it a little bit about, I thought everybody looked at the world this way, but, but, you know, was there a point where like, you're kind of going through this and you're, you're trying these different things. And, you know, again, you're enjoying it at the same time where you realized, wow, like this is something that I've got to give to the world or something that I realize this vantage point is helpful for many people out there in business, whether they're in business for themselves or in business with others. Okay, so there's a few, you know, stories here, but look, I'm going to say my dad was encouraging, but he also, because he escaped Lithuania in World War II in Europe and, you know, was a stowaway in a boat to Australia. So he has all these stories. So he was also very, education is really important and getting, being financially stable is important in his world. So he was also looking for that stability, even though he was an entrepreneur and he was like Simone and also that male female thing. Like I had a brother and my brother was sort of the one that was sort of more given permission to go out and, and explore where I was supposed to get the good, safe job. And I remember having a conversation. He was like, you know, you should get this good, safe job. And I said, what, like what? And he said, like something like in a bank. And I was, you know, so petulant, you know, hands on hips. And I remember saying to him, I'd rather stick needles in my eyes than get a good, safe job. I mean, I was a brat, you know. And because I was like, I'm not doing that, you know, and totally against it. So I did sort of go, I followed my own path in a lot of ways as well. And I was telling someone the other day, like when I was traveling around the world, we didn't have a mobile phone. We didn't have our computers. Like no one really knew where we were. We had post response. No, like we would go, I'd go, I'm going to be in France around this time. And I'd go to the post restaurant in Paris to see if there's any mail for me. And I would hand write letters. Like that's how we communicated, you know, that they had no idea where I was. And so at one stage, I'd say this is the beginning for me is I was a backpacker in London and I was living in, and you're going to be horrified by this, but I was living in a three bedroom house with one bathroom with 21 people. It was like, you know, be paid pretty much nothing to, to be there. So to get my own space and I had hardly any money, one of the things I used to do was I would I'd get a ticket for, you know, one of the uh, bus and I'd ride from one end of London to the other. And I'd sit up the front and I'd just write, like I would just write ideas and I had, you know, old school too, not in a phone, like on pen and paper. And I would just write. And I was writing these ideas of just like, what I wanted to be in the world and how I wanted to invite people to something different. And one of the things I noticed, Jake, was from one end of London to the other, I didn't see anyone who was, to was, was like choosing happy as I looked out the, the windows. And, you know, you went past this Jewish area, the Pakistani area, you know, wealthy area, poor area. Like there was just all these different, you know, religions and cultures, et cetera. And I was like, no one seems happy. Like everyone seemed, you know, frustrated. So I was like, what could I create in the world that could maybe invite people to something that was being happy? And I wrote this whole piece on vulnerability. And if we were more vulnerable with each other, 
maybe we create a difference. You know, like when you're a kid and, and two five-year-olds will see each other and they don't care how much money the other one's got in the bank account or even what their name is. They're just like, hi, will you play with me? You know, that sort of energy. I was like, what if be more like that? So I came up with the concept of one of the, I mean, I've done many different things, but the concept of the main business that I did was called Good Vibes For You. And I started writing all these different quotes and different people that I met and everything like that. And then I started putting them on t-shirts and I designed the t-shirts and did merchandise. This is when I came back to Australia, I put this into play. So, but the original idea came from me riding this bus across London, just wanting my own space. And I actually saw a really famous musician out the window and she had this uh, t-shirt on and it had this saying on it and it was quite derogatory. And I remember thinking, God, you have the power and potency to have a t-shirt on that would invite someone to something different and that's what you chose. And that's when I went, what if I could put stuff on t-shirts? And this was back in the years when people didn't have sayings on t-shirts, by the way. And you weren't like an online business where I could like search some viral influencer or something like that. No, I actually started selling at the markets in Sydney, at um, Bondi Street, Mar- Bondi Beach Markets and Glebe Street, and then started doing music festivals, which then also introduced me to musicians. And then I started doing merchandise for musicians and, and going on tour and doing all of that as well. So it sort of just kept growing and expanding by the choices that I made. But the initial setup of me creating a business was I wanted to create a different impact in the world was what drove me and still drives me. And then like, how does it, I mean, again, then you've been doing this, right. And again, like you're picking these things where you, you know, again, like you're enjoying it. Like you said, you know, you, you, you can just hear it in your, your voice. How did like the joy of business, the book come about, you know, like, what was it like that? You're like, I've got to create this. Okay. So I had a conversation with Gary Douglas, who's the founder of Access Consciousness, who I work with Access Consciousness now, I have for 21 years. And I was having a conversation with him one day and I said to him, hey, can you help me? I'm really confused about this. Like this person is choosing this and and that doesn't seem really joyful and this is business and business is joyful. And he looked at me and he went, what? And I went, well, business is joyful. I was like, why aren't they choosing like, you know, something that's more joy, you know? And he went, Simone, he goes, nobody chooses. That's not what people do in this reality. They don't choose business for the joy of it. And I went, yes, they do. And this thing went back and forth where I was like, yes, they do. No, you know, they don't. Yes. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he went, most people will just do something so that they can pay the bills. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I honestly, I had, I had no idea. I was living under a rock as far as that was concerned. And I do remember a friend of mine said to me, I had this new job at one stage and he said to me, Simone, you make, I was at the pub, like a bar on a Friday night. And he said, you make me sick how much satisfaction you get from your work. And I went, what do you mean? And he said, every single job you have, you get so excited and you get excited to go to work on Monday. And I was like, yeah, we've got five days to sell all this stuff or whatever we're going to do. Like I did, I would always have this enthusiasm. So as I spoke about it and I started doing these classes on it, on Joy Business with Access Consciousness Tools. And then for me, truthfully, I was on stage going, well, this is boring. I could actually be creating business. I could be creating something different, another revenue stream or et cetera, rather than just talking about it. But then I realized so many people came up to me and they were so grateful. Things that I was taking for granted, like the tools I was using, they weren't. And they were just, it was opening these doors and that matched the energy of what it is that I was looking to create. So then I went, okay, maybe I need to start putting this into a book. So 
I, I wrote Joy of Business and it's got a lot of really pragmatic tools in there, like from, you know, hiring staff to, I think one of my favorite topics is talking about, do you do business like a man or a woman? Because most people assume I'm a woman, I do business like a woman rather than how are you in business? Because men are way more direct. I'm way more direct. And I noticed that, you know, women will have this energy of like, you want to go, hey, how was your weekend? You know, what's up, blah, blah, blah. But I know plenty of men who like to have that conversation as well. So it's just, it's not judgment. It's just from this place of like, you know, what's the person in front of you? Like some people I know I can go, hey, blah, 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 blah. And others I've got to go, hey, how are you today? And have that little moment just to create the ease in what we're going to do to move forward. So so I started to put it into a book and it's like, I think it's translated into 16 languages now as well. So it's been very popular. Mm-hmm. And what, I mean, again, like this idea of, of again, joy, you know, the joy of business, like are, are there, I guess like, a, do you feel, you feel like there's traps? And again, we'll get into, you know, obviously, you know, more recently get happy and stay there. And you've written a bunch of books in between and kind of started to move into like the finance, kind of talking more about your experiences there. Are there traps that you feel people fall into again when like they get into the business or narratives or beliefs or, or how, you know, how do you, if someone's listening to this and they say, wow, obviously we'll link to the book. So go buy the book or listen to it. But, you know, are there, is there kind of tactical advice you can give someone who's like, how do I either find the joy in the business I'm in now or find what that might be for me? Oh gosh, there's so many tools there with that. But the one thing is I would ask you is, are you actually doing something that you love? Like, and and if you're not, then what can you do to change it? And it doesn't mean you have to quit your job. Like it doesn't have to be these like, Ryan, I'm done. You know, it's like, is there something within the job or something within the business that you could change? Like there's so many points you that we have, like for one, I discovered years ago was anything I didn't like doing, I honestly didn't want to give that job to anyone because I was like, oh, that's cruel, giving that job to someone. And then I realized, hang on a second, that doesn't mean that they're not going to. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I started looking at all of this. So, so if you're, and we change just because we're doing something today, doesn't mean we're going to desire to do it. Wait. So then ask, could somebody else be contributing here? Could somebody, could I add somebody else to the business here? So first of all, ask, it's like, and ask yourself truth. Do you actually want to be, want to have this business or would you like to be doing something different? And, you know, I think one of the gifts of 2020 and 21, Jake, was a lot of people started to look at hang on a second. I mean, they looked at everything, their business, their relationships, all of it. Am I actually choosing this because I'm enjoying it and it's my life or am I choosing this because it's a necessity? And if you make anything a necessity, it's going to have this like control over you. Like, oh, I've got to have this business rather than if it all went away tomorrow, what would you choose? Like that's a really old tool, but it's a good one. It's a good question to ask. If every single person left your life, your business left, would you choose it again? And if not, why are you choosing it? Like, this is your life. It's not, I I like to say, it's not a dry run. Like, this is it. It's like, you know, are you happy with it? And if not, then ask a question of yourself. What could I add that would change this? What would create this to be, have more ease, you know, and what would create to have more joy? Like, to me, it's like, what, what does bring you joy? And even if you start to look at that, what does bring you joy? And, you know, I always say, write down five to 10 things that bring you joy. Don't try and make it about, the revenue, but write down five or 10 things and then ask and look at it and go, okay, so could this, you know, could this be a revenue stream? Like a really good friend of mine in Santa Barbara, California, she was like, I know what to do. Loves animals, had two dogs, was walking her dogs. And then, you know, 
someone else went, hey, could you walk my dog? You know, could you walk my dog? And before you knew it, there's this photo of her and she's got these leads with like 10 dogs on each hand. And she created this rock walking business from something she loved. So I, I think there's uh, there's a few things in there that you said that are so powerful that I'm just like nodding my head just the whole time. The first that you mentioned is sometimes you don't have to leave your current company and your job. I cannot tell you, I literally, and this is so fresh, I just had a conversation less than an hour ago with someone on our team. And and we really preach this at my organization too, which is so many people. And, and then the other thing you said too, about like people try to think about, well, what would make me happy in this current box? And it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, you you got to realize most companies want you to be happy and successful. And, you know, what I always encourage people is before you think the grass is greener, because usually it is not, sometimes sure it is, go talk to your leader and and take the filter. And, and I cannot tell you, I've had both sides of the spectrum. I've had people, senior level of people that I've hired in, in years before. I said, you know, they're not quite the role that they're in. It's, uh, you know, you can just tell it. So this isn't quite it for them. And, you know, I'll go to them and I'll say, look, you know, what gets you, like, what makes you excited? Forget whatever I hired you for. Forget it. Forget it. I'll throw it out the window, right? And they still are like, well, I think it's like this. And I'm like, that's your role right now. Like, I it's, I know that's not, you know, I can tell, like, you're not, you know, fired up. And, and, and I think so many people go have that conversation. You will be shocked. And the conversation I had an hour ago, a woman on my team she, you know, she's doing some like email and some content. She's like, I'm really interested in product marketing. And I said, well, let's set up a call and talk about it. And so she talked to me about what she wanted to do. I tried to describe to her like, hey, this is what I know great product marketing to be. This is, you know, kind of some things. And I was like, well, let's put you on a project. She's like, really? She's like, I worked at these other companies. They would never do that. And I just feel like the amount of work that like what most, I feel like leaders don't realize if you can align people to what they're good at, even if they're only doing that for 20% of their job, right? Or like something that they could do, or maybe it's, maybe you want to get it to where it's like 80, 90%. Holy crap, are they productive? <laughs> like, as opposed to like, if they're not super pumped up about what they're doing and they're working 100%, you're maybe getting 50%. Whereas if I can align someone to something they're excited about doing, the, the, the equivalent becomes 250%. And there's actually studies around this too, I, you know, that I've, I've seen before. And so, wow, if you're listening to this, go have the conversation. Or if you're leading a company, are you creating the space for your people to find joy in their work and letting them know that they can do new things? So I'm just shaking my head. This is spot on. With yeah, it's brilliant. And I'm always saying, because I mean, we've got obviously got people all over the world and we have a meeting, you know, every Friday morning and I'll, I'm nearly at least twice a month, I'm like, hey, is everyone good? Do you want to change change something up? Because you you do, you come in with this one, you know, job thing, but it's like, and I've seen people go, you know what, I wouldn't mind having a look at how this works. And it's like, cool, let's go. Let's get someone to educate you on that. And if you want to do that. And one of my like, you know, tools would be to say, hey, what's the next 10 things you think we've got to work on? Because I can go, okay, I think number five, six, seven or something like that. But then if they go, well, one, two, and three, it's like, go do it. Just as you said, like, it's just another way. They will, they'll move fast. They'll create it the way they're going to create it. And, you know, a golden tool for me, and I learned this so long ago, um, like 20 years ago, when I went to this seminar with Gary Douglas on business, the founder of Access, and he said, how many of you think that no one can do the job as well as you? And I was like, hand up straight. No one could do the job as well as me with my business, you know? And he went, so who are you hiring? And I went, oh, crap. All I was doing was hiring people who were not as good as me. 
So then what I started doing was going, okay, what if I started hiring people who were better than me at sales, better than me at accounts, better than me at organization, better than me at cold calling, better than me, and not based on judgment, just they were better than me. Now, here's the piece I think a lot of leaders don't want to step into. What if you are willing to be useless and surround yourself by all these people who are so confident and then you become useless? And that's a very vulnerable energy to step into because you're like, all of a sudden you're like, wow, what am I, what, what's my role here? What I've noticed is every single time I've done this, it's like when I become useless, I step into more creation and it opens up a bigger and a greater door, something different and something else. And like I said, there's a strength and a courage and a vulnerability that goes with that. But if you're willing to be useless and surround yourself by incredibly capable people, it's just like, wow, what else is possible with this? Yeah. And then again, allowing you to focus on the things, your joys, right? And your passions and things that you're strong at. And so, and then at some point, you know, again, like you start talking, you know, obviously some of your, you know, books over the last, you know, 10 years have also been around refinance and debt. And um, we were talking a little bit about getting out of debt joyfully. Talk a little bit about that experience and like how a lot of this translates over to own finances or even running our own business, how that translates over and how you decided to kind of shift, you know, some of your talking points around, you know, finance and debt. Well, I'm going to bring my father into it again because I, I, I'm i a very creative person and I love being creative. Like even when I was just talking about that whole, you know, being useless episode, for me, it's like I go, I, I have no idea what's next, but open that creative door, right? So for me, I love that. And so I remember at one stage with my dad, who was the accountant, and he was trying to get me to look at finances. And I was like trying to talk about, you know, creation and creative and everything. And he drew me this graph. And he drew me this graph and he had like these, you know, little pie graph. And he was like, look, this is your finances. This is your creativity, et cetera. And again, petulant child, I went, I went, that's not my graph. This is my graph. And I drew finances that had this little slither and creation was like, took up nearly the whole pie. And he just looked at me so calmly and he pointed at the finances and the create. we painted the creation and he said, you cannot have that unless you know about this and pointed at the finances. And I knew he was correct. And I was so cranky that he was correct, but I knew it. And he said, look, he said, you have to start looking at your finances if you're going to be in business. You have to start, you know, looking at your profit and loss, looking at all of this. And I know a lot of people don't choose, they are entrepreneurs and they don't choose business or they don't choose to be successful because they want to ignore stuff like that. So I'm very grateful again for my dad because at an early age, he did two things. He was like every... Every month, you know, he would get me to look at the profit and loss. Look at it. Read it. Can you read the profit and loss? You know, it's like you don't have to do the bookkeeping, but, you know, it was old school. I don't know if this was what it was like, you know, where you were, but old school, we used to have these big books, you know, and they'd be tied up with pink string and he would actually get me to do some of the bookkeeping. So it was like, get the receipt out, write it in, and then the whole cross ad and everything like that, you know, and he got me to do that. He had to balance it out, like balance it at the end. Oh my gosh. I remember that from like early accounting. And you'd be two cents out and you're like, two cents? And you're like, can't we forget about the two cents? No, you've got to go back. What happened here? Da, da, da. And, and the old calculators too, it was like, God, now they've got formulas. And But hey, I'm really grateful that I learned that, giving away my age as well. <laughs> um, but but he, he got me to look at this. And, and one of the things that I see a lot of accountants doing and a lot of people doing, this is why people avoid uh, you know, meeting with an accountant is what expenses can you cut away? 
And the one thing he said to me was, he said, look at your expenses, go through line by line. Do you need them? And I would look at them and I'd go, yep. And every now and then there'd be something I'd go, oh, I actually don't need this one, right? And then but I'd look at it and I'd say, yes, I do. And then he'd always say, okay, so if you need these expenses, this is the cost. What else can you create? What other av- revenues can you add? And for me, I've lived by that because I see a lot of people trying to cut their expenses down and I don't believe in that. It's like, what else can you create? You can always add more. There's not a lack of creation. There's people choosing lack of creation so it's, it is stepping into, again, like that vulnerability and that, you know, this unknown of going, okay, I'm going to head over there because my expenses are increasing. You know, what else can I add? And, you know, I, I did create myself to be a huge financial mess. And I'm going to say a lot of the times when I, what I've noticed, because I do a lot of seminars in this too, people tend to create themselves in a financial mess, basically from avoiding everything or some insane point of view that they have. One of the insane points of view I realized I had was my father, who I absolutely adored, he he passed away about 10 years ago. He said to me that he wouldn't die um, unless he knew that his kids were financially stable. And my other three siblings, you know, they were doing well. And I realized I'm creating myself to be a financial mess so my dad stays alive. Like that's an insane point of view, right? It's like, but if we could work everything out with our logical mind, we'd have everything we ever desired. So we do create this insanity. And I remember talking to him about it and he was like, oh, Simone, he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, I know. And then, so I started to look at things different. And that's when I realized I was $187,000 in debt and didn't really have much to show for it. But, you know, but you couldn't tell, like I wasn't walking around going, oh my goodness, you know, I was still creating. I just wasn't looking at the finances. So then I made the demand of myself, okay, I've got to start looking at these finances and, and changing my point of view. I mean... I love Einstein said, you know, if you do the same thing and expect a different result, that's, that's the sign of insanity. And I knew I had to just flip my script, like just flip it completely and start looking at something different. And it's pretty much when I met Gary Douglas and Dane here and, and came across the Access Consciousness tools and went, okay, I'm going to start using some of these tools to change the way I look at finances, change my point of view around money and start to look at what it would be like to have money. Because I realized that, I mean, the second book I wrote is called Getting Out of Debt Joyfully, which most people would go, shouldn't it be getting out of debt? And I'm like, no, let's add the joyfully. Because when people are in debt, a lot of the times they don't want to make money because they go, well, all I've got to do is pay it, pay it back, pay it to X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, but you still have to live. You have to live, okay? This is not, this shouldn't be this, you know, burden that you're carrying. It should be something that you can change, your choices and you can get out of it and you still have to live and, you know, asking questions of what else is possible here, you know? Well, I think it's, I mean, again, yeah, you've hit a couple of, I think, really important points here around, yeah, that I, it's like that subconscious, it's interesting. And I think like you said, maybe, you know, a lot of people, it's like they, they're not getting out of debt because it's like, well, I know I could do more, but I'm really just not going to get anything from it. And so is it really worth me doing something about it now if I'm not going to see the, you know, any type of impact from it? And I think, you know, the concept of, you know, it's both. It's like you're not doing it 100% that. You're doing it the right amount to where, again, it's, it's not debilitating everything else. Joy from the rest of the things that you enjoy doing, um, which I think for a lot of people is probably the stressor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they get really comfortable, though. Like, it sounds weird, but I think they get comfortable being stressed or they get, because they know that energy. Like, for me, 
I know when I started using these tools and I literally set a calendar, you know, for three months and I went, okay, I'm going to use these tools for three months and see if something changes. And I sat down and, and when I finally realized I was out of debt, I was so disappointed. I was like, this is it. I was like, you know, why, why, is, why isn't there like a marching band or fireworks going off or everyone coming in going, yay, and applauding and, you know, this whole big thing. And I, I really was like, wow, this is a bit boring. And I noticed within two weeks I was back in debt. And so I was smart enough at that time to go, yeah. And I was like, what are you doing here? What are you creating? So what I started asking myself is what do I love about being in debt? And I realized, Jake, I knew it. I knew that energy. I knew what it was like to go, oh, rent, I've got to get rent. Thing. And I went, I don't know what it's like to have money. Like that was so new. So I made the demand of myself, what would it take for me to actually have money and see what that's like? So that's what I've been discovering ever since then. And then also I noticed about two years ago, like I have money, I have investments, I have a good portfolio, I have, you know, real estate investments, I have all of this stuff. And then I went, oh, I've become complacent. And not that it's about, I have to have more, but it was like, I realized that energy of I'm now complacent with where I'm at. Okay. So now what else can I reach into? Like reaching into that future that is actually available for all of us. So. Yeah. Well, uh, look, again, there's those constructs that we get, whether they're stressful or not. It's so wild that you mentioned that, you know, we work with a lot of VPs of sales of these, you know, rapid growth companies and that's where I, you know, I spent a lot of my time is in those conversations. And, and this resonates because I think you say, you know, sometimes I, you know, I talk to them and they're running hundred plus million dollar businesses and, and bigger sometimes. And they're just used to this world of like stress and chaos. I'm like, you know, it doesn't, even though, yes, it's rapid growth, there's, it's complex. It, it doesn't actually have to be like this. You can actually build a foundation and scalable processes and things will go wrong. But I, you're right. I think it's like, especially if, especially if you've like gotten by or, or started to have success, right? Like you're being, you know, again, as you started to realize the debt, but you were still having what success, you know, what would, and it masks some of that. And so you think that the only way to achieve it is through that construct, right? Whether it's the pressure, the stress, the debt, or, you know, and you're just, you're just so locked in to that way that you lived because it got you to that point, which I got to imagine like getting out of that. And again, we'll link to the book, the getting out of debt, you know, your second book, you know, for people to check out. And is that where, you know, get happy and stay there? Is that, is that kind of the, the, I guess like reason that they, like how that book came out, which is like, you kind of got to that point and now you're kind of, you're thinking about how to kind of stay in that zone as opposed to going back to those constructs. Yeah. The name of that book, Get Happy and Stay There, came about from a conversation that I had with Gary, the guy I work with, a friend of mine. And I was like, rah, 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 and I was complaining about something and it was, and it was to do with finances and money and all this stuff. And he looked at me and he just went, why don't you get happy and stay there? And I walked away and went, huh, okay. <laughs> I was like, that's an interesting concept, get happy and stay there, because it's pretty crazy what we allowed to make us unhappy. And you know, just to add to what you were talking about is that people, people think they have to be stressed. People think that they have to create this like focus energy, which then it also compresses everything. And like you mentioned really early on, it's like this box that we, you know, try and sit in this box. And it's like, we've, we don't fit in a box. We've never fitted in a box. And I'm going to say, if this is like breaking news, if you actually be in business and in life and you function from relaxation, your business will expand at least 75%. It just will from relaxation. From relaxation, you get to receive like 
everything from you have like what I would call like this spherical awareness because it's not just like focused at what's in front of you. It's from everywhere. You'll get to hear, you know, like that. I want to say like the whispers, you know, when you're like, boom, oh, that, that. You overhear a conversation and it adds to something or you pick up a magazine or you're, you know, flicking through the internet. It's like you start to like your awareness expands and expands and expands from relaxation and then you you receive more information. And, you know, for me, one of the things I started to look at was I realized I had a conversation with a friend and she said to me, hey, what is relaxation for you? And I went, you know what? I have no idea. Because I could say that thing of going, oh, getting a massage, you know, sleeping longer. You know, I could say all those things, but I went, but it's got to be something bigger. It's got to be something different. And I live across the road from the beach. And for three days, I, when I walked on the beach, I was asking myself questions about relaxation. And then one of the first things I realized was, oh, if you function for relaxation, time sort of starts to not exist. And, you know, we put so many things into time. It's like, oh, is this going to be on time? It's got to be, you know, what's the time? What's the thing? And it's all this budget, you know, fixing things in. And I went, oh, if time ceases to exist for us and we are more so looking at the relaxation and the creation and the joy of it, then I noticed judgment also gets eliminated. And if we stop judging ourselves, you know, stop judging the business, stop judging money. I mean, money is just money. It's like, you know, stop judging it. It's like then what else could show up from that relaxation? So I sort of took that and started running with that energy in business rather than trying to create that micromanagement, the havoc that, you know, we've all done this stuff as well. And you, you do it and then you go, well, that didn't work. Like, you know, I'm going to change something. Or it kind of works, right? Or the worst is I think what happens is these positive negative, I'll call them a positive negative feedback loop, which is like, well, I did micromanage these 55 things and but but what you never know is the opportunity cost. Well, what could it have been if you just like let it go? And chances are it probably would have been just fine. And I, I, I think that, that that resonates so much. And I talk to a lot about you again, get you have you are never going to break I call it like, you know, break things or do something, take that leap forward or big step if you don't give yourself time. If you don't, just let things be and give yourself time to take a step back and like, you know, walk on the beat. And again, like it doesn't have to be a lot of, you know, you might be working crazy hours. A lot of people, you know, listening to this or, and you might be like, well, yeah, it sounds great. I'd love to be able to do that. But, but the reality is what we're talking about it, it can even be in small moments. You know, I encourage my team, like, you know, do you have three or four hours a week just dedicated to thinking about the actions that happen, what happened? We're working with clients how did it work? What didn't work? What could I do differently? And it's just like, wow, like the compounding effect of giving yourself that time every week, you know, or every day, or at least every month, if that's enough for you, like it, it, it's the compounding effect of what the creativity will unlock or the, the relaxation will unlock for to take gains versus, you know, just taking a week to recharge somewhere is pretty remarkable. So preach Simone. The holiday thing is, is sort of weird for me too. It's always like, cause you have to have this time off and I don't switch off. Like, you know, when people always say entrepreneur, golden rule, when people go, well, I hope you get time for you. I hope you get to have time off. I hope you get, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like time off from what? I shower. And the big joke with my team is cause I always go, I was in the shower this morning. Everyone goes, yeah, what idea did you come up with? I just knew. I'm in the shower and I'm like, oh, this idea, this idea. And I'm not going, well, I'm in the shower. I'm not supposed to have an idea. What if you never cut it off, but you had that relaxation? And 
you know, you're correct. It's like, give yourself that time, give yourself the space. And if you're coming up with that reason, justification, saying, I don't have that, you are lying to yourself because you do. I mean, one of the things that I became, I think I am going to call it an addiction in 2020 was indoor plans because I used to travel so much. But if you spend 10 minutes walking around, five minutes and just watering your plants and seeing if they're okay, notice the relaxation. So tell me you don't have time to go do something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it could be anything. Like I, I lie in bed before I get up in the morning and I always like sort of say hello to my body even because it's like, you know, we can we can ask for the successful business, the money, all of that. But if you don't have your body, what's the use of having all that money? Like, you know, it's like, what are you going to choose? So when I wake up in the morning too, I'm always like putting my hands on my body somewhere and just going, hey. And it's like, you know, we've got these trillions of cells here. It's like just saying hi to your body because otherwise you wake up and a lot of the times you let every platform run your, your you know, your Skypes, your WhatsApps, your Telegram, your emails. And it's like, don't let that run your life. It's like you choose and then ask, okay, where is my energy required today? And you'll know, you'll know. I love that. And it's like, yeah, that's like one of the biggest advice that I give. And I, I, I try to mandate it. It's like, again, you can't even force people even when the CEO tells you, I'm like, I do not have Slack, email, any alerts on your phone. It can wait. And if you start your day from that place of like, you just never give yourself that space. And and that, again, and it's been amazing. I, and I'll tell you, for me, what it was, my was it my daughter that was born? I think it was my when my daughter was born, I found myself on Slack. Like, you know, afterwards, you know, my they, they're asleep and I'm there. I'm like, what, in, what am I doing right now? Like, you know, like, and, and I turned it off and that was four years ago. And guess what? The business has tripled, right? Somehow people figured it out and I didn't have to put that stress on myself from when I started the day. And, you know, again, I could go on and on about this, like creating the space and the space exists. Yeah. That's the relaxation and your business expanding. Like, and people, and I, I'm sorry, if you're going, no, they, they can't, it can't be true. Try it. What's the worst thing that could happen? Test it. What I did, someone, you'll appreciate this too. I found out what I was doing is I was also getting addicted to email and I thought I was being productive because I was an inbox zero person. What I realized it was, and I've heard another, like, it was actually, it's, a, it's actually, it's called like a, there's actually a name. There's like, and then somebody labeled this as he runs a company called Brand Builders Group, but he labeled it. And there's like actually different kinds of procrastination. I also found that I was doing, you know, there's all these different things that we kind of do, whether it's around keeping busy, right? And again, like what I was doing is by feeling I had to answer every email or, oh, I got inbox zero every day. Look at me. I was actually putting off the big important stuff. I wasn't doing the things that I wasn't like giving myself space to, to tackle the big nasty stuff because I was getting my little dopamine hits, you know, with every little task I checked. And so for all of you out there, it's like, you know, your, your procrastination or your, your not finding the time to relax could be taking the form of these other little like types of procrastination. And I, and I, what I did is I started to check every time I check, I, I use the old school check tick sheet. I just started checking on a little piece of paper and I was like, oh my God, I'm checking email 40 times a day. Like, what are you doing? You know, like nothing requires this. And then it was down to like, and now it's down to like five or four or five, which for some people is like, that's still too much, but hey, we're all works in progress here. So with everything, I was like, okay, so could somebody else do this for me? And even my emails, I have an assistant. She lives up in North Queensland now. She looks through all my emails and I'll just go, hey, this is the priority. Boom, 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 boom. Like what I'm working on. So she'll be like, yep, I got this, this is, and she WhatsApps me and then I look at it. So I'm lucky to look at emails once a day now. Love that. All right. Well, maybe that's my next. I do have an EA. I'm just too, I'm not, I get that. Maybe that's where I, that, that's my, that's my homework from this. So 
Simone, look, as we start to wrap up here, last question I ask everyone, what's next? What's new? What are you excited about? You know, as you look forward, 2023, the year of like, who knows? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's like up, down, whatever. Like, what are the things for you, whether it's, you know, personal, professional for you, I know that they're, they're one and the same that you're excited about, you know, that's next on deck for you and your, your world. Um, okay. I'm going to say three things. One is the property that you mentioned in Costa Rica called El Lugar. I'm hoping that we're, we're opening up this year around August. So, and it's just epic. I have horses there and everything. It's amazing. We'll have events there. People can hire it out that one. Working on another book called Business Done Different and uh, and something personal, I think, but also businessy that I'm excited about is the castle that I'm part owner in in Italy. We're going to be booking Matteo Bocelli to stay there, to, to sing there. So I was like, that's a real, yeah, I'm excited about that. So that's, yeah, so that's three things off the top of my head. I love it. I love it. Where's the resort in Costa Rica? Serapiki. So it's more like rainforest. It's not coastal. It's more like inland rainforest. It's so stunning. All right, I think I found it here. We'll we'll link to the to the area too, or people will link to your website. And people can come check it out too. Uh, I love Costa Rica. Yeah, me too. It's so great. There's so many different like hidden spots in Costa Rica too, where it's like whatever you want, whatever you want, tourist beach, jungle, everything. So if you haven't been to Costa Rica, there's our Costa Rica pure pure vida pitch to everybody. Well, that sounds awesome. I love it. Pura Vida. Pura Vida. That's right. <laughs> All right, Simone. Well, look, really enjoyed the conversation. This is a lot of fun. I definitely have a couple of takeaways in my homework item of giving my EA my email. I love it. I'm going to do it. I promise you. I will report back on a later episode how it's going for me. But no, Simone, I'm sure my, I, I know, I know, I'm not sure. I know, you know, listeners had a ton of takeaways on just like, you know, your view. And, and I think it also there's like tactical ways that people can start to do some of these things, which I think is always always, always, always important. So big, big thank you for for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Amazing. Thank you. And thank everyone for tuning in. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show. Thank you everyone again for listening to another episode. If you are listening all the way to the end, I hope you have left a review. I hope that you make sure that you're following or subscribing on your favorite podcast listening apparatus. We'll be back next Thursday. And again, make sure to check out the Monday episodes as well, too. A lot of people are really enjoying these kind of mini episode Mondays. So make sure to tune in, subscribe, and leave a review. 